so today we kind of carry on with that in a sense and reflect on something else. Something else that when we look at last week, the things that we try and find joy in, find hope in, find satisfaction in, purpose in. And so today we reflect on the things that nobody wants. We reflect on the things that nobody wants to go through. And we'll just sum it up with one word, adversity. And so what we're going to look at today is, is in what the Lord brought to me in, in going through this is something called the significance of adversity. And whether you believe in that or not, let's, let's look at it. Let's, let's hear what God might want to share with us this morning. So let's start by reading verses 1 through 4. And we'll, we'll jump into this and we'll, we'll carry on and we'll, we'll talk about and go through the whole chapter this morning. So verses 1 through 4. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or pleasure, or what we might call partying. <laughs> and so that's kind of the question now. And so what we see actually, number one, for the first time in our study of Ecclesiastes, we see this, these proverbial statements, like the book of Proverbs is laid out. You know, the first time, if you've noticed, this is written by the same person that wrote Proverbs that's writing Ecclesiastes. And we see that for the first time now, he kind of comes back to the wisdom that God had and, and lays out a lot of those proverb-type statements of wisdom for us. And in this first portion, we need to ask the question, is experiencing adversity better than avoiding it? Is experiencing adversity, pain, sorrow, death, hurt, better for us? than if things were comfortable or in our effort in the opportunity to avoid those circumstances at all costs. How does our response to adversity affect our character as an individual? And I think that's, those are the two big questions that we're going to look at this morning. So when he's talking about the house of mourning, he really is talking about kind of a envision a funeral service. He's talking about, uh, call it an opportunity when somebody has passed away and everybody goes to the house of mourning, a church, a synagogue, a temple, a, a memorial center, a, a grave site, or whatever it might be, and they're there standing over and celebrating, call it as we do today, the life of an individual who has recently passed. That's the house of mourning. And I think we all understand if we've been to one of those services, which I'm going to assume most of us have, We'll spend a lot more time reflecting on life and the purpose of life there in that kind of moment than we will at a party. Not too often do we sit and reflect and, and really look at the, the reality of life's purpose and, and, and vision for life and why I'm living the way I'm living when we're, we're at a birthday party or a significant fun event, so to speak. We don't do it. We just live in the moment, in those moments, but in, in a time of memorial, in a time of funeral, in a time of, of somebody's passing, we, it causes us to sit back and go, they've lost their life. How am I living mine? With the time that I have left, 
Am I really living up to my potential? Am I living the way that God has wanted me to live? In moments of laughter, fun, and parties, we don't contemplate life. We tend not to reflect on the blessings of God because we're in the blessing. We don't need blessing because we feel like we're living it. You know, and don't think about God in the moment. In fact, from the secular perspective, if you've gone to some of those parties, there isn't a lot of self-reflection going on, is there? Just the opposite. I'm going to do whatever I can to forget my life in this moment and live it up and drink it down and party, party, party and not worry about any consequences. I'm just going to live in the moment regardless of what may happen because I just want to live a good life right now. You know, so it's, it's just, it, it comes down to a matter of perspective, right? You know, we had a, a fun opportunity just last night to, to celebrate uh, quinceanera uh, for a, a, one of Caleb's friends. You know, it was a wonderful event. It was a lot of fun. I am not of that culture, and so I didn't grow up experiencing quinces. I, you know, and until I, I married Jess and, and she took me to her cousins, did I experience my first quince and go, what is this? This is a birthday party? You know, for me, it was like, here's a cone hat, here's a piece of cake, go have fun. Done. But no, this is like a wedding event. It's a full-blown, it's a, it was amazing. You know, to, so see, to see another one last night, it was, we were there, I don't know how, six, seven hours, and it just, thing after thing after thing after thing. But, but, but God bless her. I mean, she's a, she's a beautiful young girl, you know, uh, just celebrating that time in life. And I know there's a lot of cultural meaning and the heritage behind that kind of festivities, but you think of just the festivities and the, the music and the dancing, but then we, there was also, you know, some drinking and other things going on. And, and, and it, 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 it hurt my heart just a little bit. As the night was concluding, we had to get in the car and head on out. And as we were heading out, there was one unfortunate lady who had a little too much and it was experiencing the results of, of having a little too much to drink uh, over in the bushes off to the side. And, you know, it hurt because I, I sat in, in, in that moment. See, that moment caused me to reflect and think back. We were just having an amazing time dancing and partying and laughter and joy and excitement. And then here's the result. You know, and not... Not long down the road, we're going to celebrate the life of my dad. You know, it's going to be a different perspective. So to go from, the, you know, a crazy blowout party with loud music and dancing for hours upon end to reflecting on the life of an individual, you know, which one is going to cause you to really consider your own life? You know, so that's what Solomon is talking about. That death is going to come to all regardless. We know that. We've talked about that. And sometimes it's going to come a lot quicker than we realize. You know, sometimes we want to get to that point where we say, well, I've lived half my life. Now what? But do, have you really lived half your life? We can say that because we don't know. You may have lived half your life when you were 20. You may have lived half your life when you were 30. You may not get another 20, another 30. You may get five. You may get one more. We don't know. So this is the point of what Solomon is saying. Not a single person can avoid the reality of what's to come. So the perspective is, in those moments of adversity and trial and hardship and death and mourning and sadness, can we flip our mindset to use those for good reasons, to reflect on who God is, 
and how I can move forward honoring him in my life, giving him the glory and make that the point. See, that's what the house of mourning does. See, death brings reflection. Death brings reflection. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10 says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. See, without regret, meaning I'm going to change my mind. Having gone through this situation, whatever it might be, I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my mind now and move forward in joy because godly grief, what God has allowed to happen in my life, I'm going to turn around and use for good because that's exactly what he wants. Think about offering his own son on the cross. That type of sorrow, that type of, of pain and torture to then immediately, three days later, have it be something that has been used to bring millions upon millions upon millions of people into the house of God and eternal salvation. So he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. When we grieve from the world's perspective, it's going to turn into bitterness. It's going to turn into anger. It's going to turn into resentment. And so we have to make the choice. When those times come, how are we going to grieve? How are we going to consider those opportunities? Now, we're not, what's the term? We're not masochistic. We don't look for those opportunities. I can't wait for the next death to come so I can just grieve properly. No, that's not in our heart. That's not the way we operate. But when those things happen, if we're relying upon the Lord, then we're going to be able to grieve properly and reflect on the life that we have. See, Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90 was teach us to number our days. Let us see the reality that we don't have long. We're not here for a very long time. That's the whole point of this book. Here today, gone tomorrow. We, so, so Lord, give us an understanding of the time that we have to look to you so we can live properly. We can live biblically. We can live for your glory and do exactly what you need us to do with the time that we have. Give us the wisdom that you need us to have. See, verse 3 said, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. And that statement really grabbed me. That really grabbed me. Sorrow is better than laughter. Who in their right mind would ever say that? Walk up to somebody in the store next time and say, hey, I think you need to do a little more crying in your life. It's going to be better for you. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. See, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Now, I had to look at that in a lot of different translations. And I went to a lot of different ones, and they all basically said the same thing, except for the New Living Translation. When you look at that line in the NLT, it says this, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Sadness has a refining influence on us. You know, and how many times maybe back in the day, we used to sing a very popular worship song called Refiner's Fire. Isn't that, isn't that the name of it, right? Refiner's Fire. Okay, I, I can't, I'm missing the lyrics right now for, for whatever re reason, but, but that idea of God being a refiner 
And he says in Zechariah 13, I will test them as gold is tested. Meaning what? I'm going to put you in the fire. I'm going to give you adversity. And the whole point of that is it draws out and exposes the impurities within. That's the whole point of refining gold and silver and precious metals. It draws out the impurities so you can separate them and have pure, beautiful, precious metal, whatever it is. And that's how God sees us. So he says, I have to refine you. I've got to put you in the fire because it's going to draw out. If you are willing to reflect on what you're going through, let what needs to be exposed about how you've been viewing life and then set it aside and look to me so that you're living more purely, more holy, more righteously like you're supposed to, like I've called you to do. So the prayer should be, God, grant me the wisdom I need to live the remainder of my days for your glory and your purpose. Even when those moments come, let me see it that way. Psalm 30 verse 11 says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Not mourning as in early morning, but sorrow morning, M-O-U-R-N, mourning. You've turned my sadness, you've turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. See, all you need to do is reflect on the cross of Christ. That seeing that pain should bring you joy. It's weird, but that's exactly the season we're coming into. To reflect on the crucifixion of Christ, that horrendous act, because it gives us life. That death gives us life. That sorrow, that tragedy gives us hope, gives us joy. You see what we're talking about? And that's what Solomon is saying. So one, death brings reflection. Number two, rebuke brings consideration. So let's read the next couple of verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Verses 5 and 6 says, It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. He's talking about rebuke. And discipline, another point of adversity that a lot of us really try and avoid if we can. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to think my way. I'm going to do things my way. And if it's not my way, it's the highway. So nobody can say anything against me. This is my life. But if you open yourself up to a little bit of rebuke, which nobody enjoys, if you open yourself up to some discipline, which nobody enjoys, there's going to be significance in that kind of adversity. So how easy is it to be rebuked? How do you feel when that happens? You know, my dad, was a, he was a disciplinarian. He wasn't harsh, but he was proper because he was a military man. He understood discipline and he did so, but he did it with the heart of correction, not just pain. <laughs> because he'd have a whole routine in bringing correction to us. And someday I'll, I'll walk through that process but for lack of time, he did not spare the rod. Let's put it that way, in a proper way. But every single time that I remember when I received that rebuke and that correction, he set the paddle down and he sat with us on the bed and he explained why. And more often than not, he'd sit and pray with us. Because my dad understood proper biblical rebuke, proper biblical rebuke correction and discipline 
Proverbs 17.10 says, A rebuke cuts into a perceptive person. Rebuke cuts into a perceptive person more than a hundred lashes or a hundred blows into a fool. Can you not understand? And a fool would say, nope. (laughs) But a proper rebuke for a perceptive person says, this happened for a reason. I need to consider what it is I did wrong and now change course and do things the proper way. So Hebrews chapter 12 really brings this out. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I love these next verses. It says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. See, when you're willing to be trained by the correction of God and be disciplined by His Word, you don't get to walk around all humdrum, woe is me, ma, ma, ma. No, He says, strengthen your knees. Stand up. Walk straight ahead. Learn from that moment and move. Keep going. That's the point of proper rebuke. So death brings reflection. Rebuke presents us a moment of consideration. And three, waiting offers surrender. Waiting, patience, offers surrender. So let's look at verses 7 through 13. It says, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. I'm going to say that again. The advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Who can make straight what he has made crooked? We're going to come back to that statement. But we got to understand that both oppression and poverty, or excuse me, prosperity have their merits. Both oppression and prosperity both have their merits. Don't they? We just got done talking about the fact that we go through oppression should have some merit to teach us to reflect on our life. Prosperity, not just wealthy prosperity, not just financial monetary prosperity, but wisdom prosperity has its merit, right? But they also have what? Their problems in just the opposite way. We understand the problems. See, Proverbs 30 verses 8 and 9 says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny and say, Who is the Lord? I'm going to come back to that. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. See, the problem with being too prosperous too wealthy in any way 
leads to a little bit of self-righteousness that says, I got this. Look, look what I got. Look what I've done. Look what I've attained. Look what I know. I don't need God. That's why he says, who are, who are you, Lord? I, I'm good. You just get, I got this. Now, on the opposite side of things, when we're without, when we're lacking, when we're poor and oppressed in a lot of different ways, we can have the perspective to say, well, I need to change this. I'm going to do whatever it takes, regardless of what I do, regardless of the consequences, to better my position, no matter who I step on, who gets in my way, I'm going to get what I'm going to get. See, either way, either extreme is not good. We need the Lord here in prosperity. We need the Lord here in lack. See, it's a matter of perspective. Why be so quick to aim for prosperity and wealth when we don't have the perspective of living without? Everybody wants, 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 wants more, more, more. Again, whether that's financial, material, or even in wisdom and knowledge. We want more, we want more, we want more. But we don't even have the understanding of what to do with it when we don't realize what life is without it. How to handle it. What do we do when we get it? See, everybody wants the, the, the $192 million lottery ticket. Or what did it get up to? A, a billion dollars recently? You pay five bucks or whatever it is and you could win a billion dollars? No one, would, no one would know what to do with that kind of money. We think we would know. Oh, I'll give so much to this place and this place and, 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 and be so generous. But no, you wouldn't. You'd get so full of yourself and buy everything that you would want because every story, more often than not, of those that win the lottery, what happens? Not long down the road, they've blown it all and they're right back into poverty because they didn't have the wisdom to know what to do with that kind of money. We see it all the time with some of these professional athletes. Say here, 19-year-old, here's $100 million to play with a ball. They don't know what to do with it. They know how to play and God has blessed them with talent, but they have no idea what to do with that kind of money. None of us do. So we need the wisdom that can only come from God that when he blesses you with more, you know what to do with it. We need the wisdom of God that when you don't have, you don't fall back into yourself. You go, God, I need to know what to do to get out of this whatever it might be. See, it's wisdom on either side. And if we wait, if we have patience and hold back, God is going to bless us with that opportunity to learn. And that's why waiting offers surrender. If we can just say, God, I, I feel like, like a Solomon. I've got all this stuff. I've got, you've blessed me with money. You've blessed me with jobs. You've blessed me with benefits. You've blessed me with children. You've blessed me with all this stuff. You've blessed me with wisdom and knowledge, God. I'm just going to wait until you tell me what to do with it all. And the same thing on the opposite side. We need to find our contentment in the season that God's ha God has us in. And that's why he said, why do we, why do we long for the former days? Why he says, why were the former days better than these? Has anybody, if you look at society and culture today, gone, man, I really wish for that day, that era. It was so much better then. I can't stand this that we're living in. We hear it all the time. And typically, the example people will use 
is, God, we need to get back to the Leave it to Beaver days. All right, y'all remember Leave it to Beaver? Those were, that's a great show. Positivity, family. Wasn't that, good night, John boy? You know, all the family members, everybody saying good night to one another, loving one another. Everybody longs for the Leave it to Beaver era. I had to look it up. That was, that was first aired, I think it was October of 1957. Anybody know what was going on in the South in the mid to late 1950s? Do you think they were longing for Leave it to Beaver? Or did they need release from oppression and beatings and police brutality and lynchings? See, it's a matter of perspective on the days that we long for. Some might say, I want the Leave it to Beaver days back in society. Everybody goes, you mean the 1950s when we were going through all that? Yeah, see, no thank you. See, it's a matter of perspective. What are you longing for? If we look at it biblically, it's like the Israelites. God, get us out of this slavery. God, get us out of this oppression. We need your help. We're sick of it. It's been 400 years. And he says, okay. And not too long later, they say, God, get us back to Egypt. God, we're sick of being in the wilderness. God, we don't know why this guy Moses brought us out here to die. Just get us back into slavery. At least we had meals there. See, it's a matter of perspective. See, wisdom would have told them God is in control. God released them from slavery and God is bringing them to a special place. But they weren't patient. They didn't reflect. They didn't have the wisdom of God to say, we're going to trust in you. They just longed for what they thought was better in the moment. And they, they didn't have the wisdom of God saying, just wait. You have no idea the blessings that are before you if you would just wait. See, Solomon is, is known for his connection of wisdom and, and money. Isn't he? So I don't, I don't want us to think this is just all about prosperity. You know I will never ever sit here and preach the prosperity gospel. That is from the pit of hell. But wisdom, excuse me, Solomon connects prosperity and money to wisdom. See, one example is Proverbs chapter 2, verse 4. If you seek it like wisdom, excuse me, if you seek it, it meaning wisdom, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. See, it's something that we can attain that is so much more valuable than money, so much more valuable than precious metal. So let us find wealth in the wisdom we gain in seeking the face of God. But let us accept humility in our seasons of want so the Lord can provide us the wisdom we need in that situation as well. We need both. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We need wisdom in the moments of prosperity before we fall flat on our face. But Proverbs 11 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. To take a look at what he said in verse 13, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Did that not sit right with anybody? Why would God make things crooked and say, this is what it needs to be? And here we are saying, no, 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 God, you got it wrong. This is a little too crooked. This is a little too much. I'm falling, you know, 
head over heels over here. I don't, I don't know what to do. You're causing too much pain. I think you did something wrong. So let me straighten it out for you. Let me show you how this was supposed to be. We ever do that? No, so he, he made it crooked. That was his design. See, when you look at the life of a Christian, it's not A to B. We know that. It's A to Z to raccoon to purple to, to politics to, to the depth to hurt to pain to, oh, this was nice, to this or that. And we go in 14 different circles before we make the next turn. That's the life of a Christian, up and down, left and right. You know, it's all over the place. See, but what we do is we get caught up in, in the crooked. We get caught up in that little turn. We get caught up in that little adjustment of turning a different way when we can't see the outcome. And we get so caught up in that quick moment, God says, if you just turn and trust me, then for at least this moment in time, before the next turn, it's going to be straight. And I'm going to be with you. And your path is going to be straight for a moment. Yes, another turn, another crook, another fall, another something is coming. But for this moment, this season, this time, it's straight. So stop trying to straighten it on your own. I know the path for you. I know the plan for you. Trust me. And I think we know something that we can rely on. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge Him. And He will do what? Make your path straight. See, what He designed to be crooked was for your, your benefit. It's for your, your purpose. But in that crooked moment, he will make your path straight so you can walk straight and understand, okay, God, this was for my benefit for maybe some reason I don't understand, but you're also showing me that I don't need to understand. I just need to trust in you and keep going. Let's finish this out. So what is life all about? Prosperity versus want. Comfort versus crookedness. <laughs> It's proper balance. It's finding and getting the wisdom from God to find proper spiritual, biblical balance in this world. Look at verse 14. Verses 14 through 18 says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. See, this is about balance. Now, please understand, Solomon is not saying it's okay to be a little wicked, just not too much. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> it's not what he's saying at all. He's saying we need to find the balance. Meaning, yes, we have a sinful nature. Yes, we're going to mess up, but don't just run towards it. Don't just dwell in it. Don't sit in it. Find that balance, but can't go to the other extreme either, either and say, well, I've got all the wisdom I need. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need God anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. I know it all. I think we all have maybe been a teenager or have raised teenagers that think they know it all. No offense. Actually, yes, listen. 
But we get to that point sometime, don't we? I got it. I know it. I don't need any advice. I don't need counsel. But he also talked about this inevitability of a righteous man passing before his time and, and this wicked fool can prolong his life. Have we ever seen that too? And go, why in the world is that person, keep it clean here, allowed, yeah, so-and-so, why is he allowed to live a full life not recognizing God, getting rich, living this lavish lifestyle, having everything he could possibly ever want, never recognize God, do all these wicked, evil things, and he lives this all these years. Why? And yet this person who was so God-honoring in their life, their life is cut short. It doesn't make sense. See, when we have that viewpoint, we look at the world from this perspective. We look at it from this perspective. I can't see beyond this. Because we tend to forget that this is not forever. Amen. That life is beyond this. That we serve a loving, faithful, yet very just God. That every individual, no matter their length of time here, will stand before God and give an account for the life that they lived. It's not for us to go, well, why do they get to do this? Because all you're saying is, I would have liked that life and I probably would have done it better than them. I would have loved all those riches and I would have used it better for God's glory. No, you wouldn't have. Because <laughs> you don't know. That's why he said God made the adversity, but also God made prosperity so that man would not find out anything after him. We're not meant to know the future. We're meant to live in the now and find the proper balance of God's blessing and what he wants us to know here and now. And that's it. Let's look at the last part. And I'm just going to kind of, let me just provide a summary. Verses 19 through 29. He basically looks at the world around him and reveals what we all are very well aware of. This world is a sinful, fallen world. And I am one of those. And so how are we going to put one foot in front of the other with that knowledge, and how are we going to respond to it? So basically what he says is you need to find the balance. We need to avoid the self-perceived wisdom and gossip of others. Because there's going to be a lot of people that come to you and flatter you, laugh at your jokes, as horrible as they are, build you up and encourage you, but none of it is going to come from the wisdom of God. And we fall into it. And we get caught up in the gossip. We get caught up in, in the talk as well, don't we? It's done to us. It's done for us. It's done against us, but we also do it for and we do it against others as well. We can't rely on our own understanding lest you fall into self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is just as evil as the individual who was given everything seemingly and lived a wonderful life. Self-righteousness is no better. We need a proper balance of wisdom and righteousness and therefore should look no further than the perfect example of Jesus Christ. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 27 through 30 says this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is our example of what wisdom is. He is our example of right living righteousness, right living according to God's plan and God's will. We need that proper view because we live in a fallen world. People will try and entice us to sin. It's that first John 2 mentality, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. We all are there. We all get to that point of longing for the things that we think we need and want in our life. But our aim and desire is to please God. That's wisdom. But we have to act on the wisdom he gives us. That's righteousness. You see the difference? When we don't know or when we think we know too much, we need the wisdom of God to set us right. But then acting on the wisdom he gives us is righteousness. Living right. Standing right before God in this world. We're made in the image of God. And a proper view of man's sinful nature should enlighten us to the schemes, the traps, the pitfalls that this world is going to put before you. But can you find significance in that adversity? So remember those three things we talked about that nobody wants or likes to experience. One, death brings us reflection. Be okay by going to the house of mourning. Be okay with those moments of sadness. Remember Ecclesiastes chapter 3? There are seasons And some of those seasons are sadness. Some of those seasons are hard. Be okay with it. Don't welcome it because you're looking for it, but welcome it because you know you're going to be able to reflect on the life that you have and how God wants you to live. Don't try and avoid the inevitable, but use it as an opportunity to reflect on what God has given you. Number two, rebuke presents consideration. So release your pride when you're corrected. Be okay with some discipline. It's good for you when it's done properly. And God will discipline us because he wants to bless you with wisdom that could have not have been found elsewhere. And then finally, wait. Be patient. And in that moment of waiting until you find out the answers that God wants, that he wants to give you, surrender yourself to his will and his way. See, it's okay to receive wisdom from others. That's okay. But don't act on it until you've put that wisdom up against the word of God. Be patient and act on that wisdom that can only come from God. And if God is going to speak through other people into your life, then make sure you sought the Lord, that it aligns with his word, and then go ahead and act on it and then continue to live right. Change course if you need to. As we walk through this crooked, weird world. Rely on the Lord to make your path straight. And this is why Paul would summarize this whole concept in a verse that's taken out of context so, so often. I wanted to use it when I was playing football. But I was not wise in using this verse. But when you put it in context with what we just talked about, this will make more sense now. Philippians 4, we need to talk about verse 12 and 13. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, place, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's significance in that adversity. So when you're in it, God is saying, seek out my wisdom. And in that you can do all things. You can make it through. Because he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Even in those moments. So let's learn from those moments. Amen. 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 Let's pray.